You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Hello, I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And you're listening to the Australian Finance Podcast. A podcast where we talk about money, finance, investing, and all that good stuff. We're helping you invest your time and money better one podcast episode at a time. Yes, so please subscribe if you like the series. And don't forget you can find us on social media. We're on all the platforms. Kate, where can people go? You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Rask Australia. That's R-A-S-K Australia. Mm -hmm. And I'm Owen Rask on Twitter or Owen Rask AU on Instagram. Beware the imitators. People like to copy us. Without further ado, let's jump in to today's episode. Hey, Kate, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. It is all wonderful to be back, Owen. Yeah, today we've got a very special guest, Emily O'Neill. How are you going? Hi, guys. Hi, Kate. Hi, Owen. I'm well. How are you? Very good. Very good. You're joining us remotely, uh, which is always a bit of fun. Um, we're going to talk a lot about like ESG investing. This is going to be a really fun chat for a lot of us. But maybe just to kick things off, you've appeared on the Australian Investors podcast before, which is the other podcast series that we run, but you've never appeared on this one as far as I know. So can you give us a, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do day to day? Yeah, sure. So I guess my official title is co-head of ESG and equities analyst at Perennial. And that's a really wordy title. Um, But I guess it does capture a lot of what I do, which is pretty broad, actually. So we like to integrate the ESG team into our investment team. And so that means that I lead our ESG team, but I also am an investment analyst and make the stock decisions as well and cover companies. So I wear a few different hats in that respect. So I help to run our dedicated ESG small cap fund, which is called the Perennial Better Future Fund. We are an ETF and also an investment trust. But our goal in this fund is to go out and find really interesting, innovative, small and mid cap companies that we say are helping to shape a better future. And so that can be from an environmental perspective or also a social perspective. 
I'm also responsible for Perennial's firm-wide integration of ESG across all of our investment strategies, also our corporate sustainability strategy, and I have a number of stocks under coverage as well, which sit within the fund. So it's a bit of a broad role, but mm. that means it keeps it interesting every day and I'm doing something completely different um, every day I wake up, which keeps it exciting. When we get into investing, there's always a, a lot of terminology, especially today because we're talking about ethical investing, ESG investing. And I was wondering if you could potentially even start with maybe what small caps are, if someone hasn't heard about that before, and then we'll talk about some of the ethical terminology that people need to know about. Yeah, absolutely. So small cap companies are kind of what the name suggests. So they're smaller companies that are listed on the stock exchange, so in my case on the ASX, and they are typically defined as companies that don't sit in with the ASX 200. So the ASX 200 is a the top 200 stocks by market value on the ASX, and we're looking outside of those top top 200 stocks. So we're really targeting the smaller end of the market, and that's where we seem to find some really interesting opportunities from both a valuation perspective and also an ESG perspective. So then linking in the ESG and sustainability, well, ESG is environmental, social and governance. And investing in regards to ESG can actually mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So I guess breaking it down, historically, it has been termed ethical investing. And that was typically as a background from religious groups who wanted to screen out investments in certain industries that they consider unethical. So that may be tobacco or weapons, um, gambling, alcohol, pornography. So that's the kind of first iteration of where ESG strategies initially developed. And then it's kind of moved towards ESG investing. And that's more about integrating ESG risks and opportunities into your investment decisions. So alongside analyzing the company from its valuation and fundamental perspective, we're adding in some ESG analysis as well. So what's the company's impact on the environment, on emissions, on water, on waste? What's its impact on its people and its customers? And how does it manage the organization? So we're considering those risks alongside the investment process. And we also have what we call sustainability or impact investing. And this is a type of investing that's really trying to target companies that are having a po positive social or environmental impact on, on the world. And so they're typically, you know, driving better sustainability outcomes around the world. And again, this can be they're helping to decarbonize the economy. They're providing educational outcomes. They may be improving patient patients in a healthcare setting. So that's more the sustainability and impact side. So as you can see, it is kind of broad. And I think what's really important is to understand what strategy the funds that you're looking to invest is employing or what strategy you would like to align your investments with. So Emily, just to confirm, so uh, just to confirm for folks that are maybe this is their first time hearing about this sort of stuff. Um, so you've got impact investing, which sounds like it's more like punchy in that you invest with the distinct purpose of having an impact on a company in some way. Um, but then there are many like different flavors where you can have different experts that might say target environmental aspects of companies or some that do the social impacts, or maybe they bundle a few of those things together, but it kind of, it sounds like a little bit like impact is a, like at the pointy end. Would that be fair to say? 
Yeah, I think so. What we typically say with impact investing is it's all about actually really generating positive social or environmental outcomes. And it's all about the measurement of those outcomes over time. So typically in the impact space, which is kind of considered the most green, if you will, that's all about, you know, generating returns, but it may not be targeting above benchmark returns or superior returns. It's all about, you know, it could be social housing, for example, um, developing hospitals. Mm. It's really on the impact side of things. And then just one step down from that is kind of what you touch on is the MATIC ESG investing. So that's targeting one specific aspect of the sustainability spectrum and really investing along with those themes. So um, common ones here are in the environmental space. So they might be investing in renewable energy or low carbon technology. And it really has that purpose, that single purpose on one element of sustainability. Um, But of course, you can have different, and, and it's not a specific box because you can have a strategy Mm. that ties in elements of all of these types of ESG investing similar to our fund where we do have those negative screens that I spoke about on the ethical side but we also like to invest in sustainable themes um, in industries that we think are going to benefit from this big societal shift towards more sustainable outcomes of the world. So Again, it's a little bit complicated, but it doesn't have to be scary. What the main thing is to go in and understand their process and how they think about sustainability. And it doesn't discount sustainability given that there are different ways to do it. So, yes, there is different types of sustainability and ESG investment strategies, but that's not to discount it as an investment tool because we know that there's a lot of different ways to invest in traditional strategies. So you can have different investment styles. You can invest in companies of different sizes. You can use different valuation techniques. So even Mm -hmm. though ESG can be quite broad and you need to choose the type of strategy you want to align yourself with, that doesn't mean that it's any less worthwhile. It just means that, you know, everyone has their own opinion about what's going to drive returns or what impact they want to have with their, with their investments. Emily, one of the things that um, we, we did a survey on this a while ago and most people, like the overwhelming majority, want to invest in a way that's like, we'll say, ethic. I think ethically is a bit of an interesting word, but maybe you'd say like in an ESG aware type way. Um, but the the... the the thing that really caught me, which was interesting, is some investors were prepared. In fact, 82% of people, in a hypothetical question, right, were prepared to give up 2% returns per year just to invest in a way that they felt was, quote, unquote, ethical. So I guess the question is, therefore, do people have to give up returns? Like, do investors have to give up returns to invest in an ethical way or an ESG-aware way, I guess? Yeah, it's a really interesting statistic because there's a similar consumer study that's done that shows that 85% of consumers want to align their purchasing decisions Mm. with environmental or socially conscious products. So that's when you go to a supermarket and you choose maybe the organic option or you go to the supermarket and you choose the bottled water that has 100% recycled plastic. So we know that majority of investors, sorry, even just consumers, think about how they live their life in a more sustainable way, and they're actually also willing to pay a premium for that. So so it doesn't surprise me that investors may be willing to give up some return, but I really want to stress the point that that's not what ESG investing is about. And actually, you can generate great returns by thinking about how sustainable a business is for so many different reasons. So 
I mean, there's lots of data out there that suggests that funds over the medium and long-term ESG funds have actually outperformed their mainstream or traditional investment products. And that's over pretty much all asset classes as well. And it's also shown that these types of funds typically have less volatility, which means that there's less up and down movements in, in their fund because of the more stable nature of ESG companies. And a study by McKinsey, and I'm going to get a little bit technical here, so just, <laughs> just hold with me for a second. But a McKinsey study showed that companies with better ESG scores actually had a 10% higher cost of capital. So, um, sorry, better cost of capital. And what that actually means is that when they go out there to investors to raise money, so they might be borrowing money from a bank or they might be raising what we call equity capital, it's actually easy for them to do that. And that means that they don't have to pay as much to do that. So their interest rate may be a bit lower or their discount that they have to give on their equity is, is lower. And that actually represents to higher valuations. So um, better better pricing for, for investors. And that really makes sense because companies that are managing environmental risk, social risk, governance risk, are going to just be looking at all of the risks in their business. They're not just isolating themselves to financial risks. They're also looking at some of the ESG risks in their business. So, of course, they're going to have a better risk framework. And we also know that customers want to purchase from companies that are more environmental or more socially sustainable. And so, therefore, they have a greater customer base and their customers are willing to pay more for those products, as I just mentioned. And they also are typically companies that are looking after their employees. So they're going to have employees who want to stay within the business, who are engaged to work harder because they're treating their employees well. So for me, as an investment strategy, it completely makes sense that companies that are focused on ESG and sustainability are going to be better performing. Mm. I mean, that's just logical. And that's kind of what got me interested in the space because to me, I wanted to work for a company that's doing good things. So of course, other people would as well. Um, but I guess what is more critical to us is that ESG and sustainability is really a lens towards companies that are helping to solve some of the globe's largest sustainability challenges. And these are typically going to have really big global markets. There's not a country out there in the world that's not looking at their greenhouse gas emissions profile and wanting to decarbonize. These companies are also going to experience less regulatory intervention. So regulators and governments aren't going to be as focused on them because they're not in industries that are doing negative things like fossil fuel producers or, um, you know, have negative health outcomes like some of the alcohol or, or tobacco industries. So um, we can also avoid those types of companies that may be more subject to some of the challenges going forward in a world that's moving towards being more sustainable. So I think it's actually a fantastic class and investment opportunity, both from managing risks, but also from finding companies that are set to benefit from our global shift in how consumers and how companies and how investors are thinking about the sustainability world going forward. You mentioned before about some of the different maybe lenses you might look at it with through using the environmental social governance approach to impact investing at the other end. And when I was at an event the other week, there was quite a lot of questions coming through of people asking, how do I actually invest in line with my values? Like I know what they are, or maybe I'm figuring that out. And I know there's companies and other products out there, but how do I figure out 
where I meet with those investment products in the middle. And I was wondering if you're mm. able to talk about how an individual maybe can figure out how to invest in line with their values. Yeah, it's a great question and it's, it doesn't really have a simple answer, unfortunately. But as I mentioned, there's really no one size fits all when it comes to ESG and sustainability. And that's because it is really broad. So if you think about environment, you have water, you have waste management, you have emissions profile, you have biodiversity. And what's actually important is that you need to focus on what may be material to the business that you're investing in. So not every element of ESG is going to be financially material to every business. So you have to think about the concept of materiality when you're looking at an investment. So for example, you may have an industrial company that it's really critical to look at their emissions profile and their emissions reductions targets and whether they're aligned with net zero because that may be material for their business. Um, you may think about, okay, I'm really, I really care about the environment and I don't want us to have more extreme weather events. So I'm going to actually exclude from investing in high fossil fuel emitting industries. Um, or you, as I mentioned, you can target companies that are set to benefit from these sustainable tailwinds and are going to be advantaged by the globe shift to being more sustainable. Um, and then another example just on what's materiality, if you think about a tech company, um, they're holding customer data. We're seeing a lot more interest from governments and attacks from a cybersecurity perspective. So, okay, if you have a tech, if you want to invest in a tech company, cybersecurity is probably going to be pretty material to their business. So we need to think about how the business is managing its cyber risks or how it's investing to protect itself from cyber attacks or how it's managing customer data. Is it only taking data that they really need or is it taking a whole scope of data that would make it more prone to, to an attack? So it's a complicated answer and it is, you know, does develop a lot of work behind understanding the material drivers. You can start by looking at a company's sustainability report because a lot of companies now do actually produce a sustainability report where you can go in and look at what they self-identify as material and what they're doing to address that issue in their business. And therefore, you can make an assessment as to whether they're doing good things or whether, you know, maybe they're not focused on where they need to be focused on. So there is mm. a little bit of analysis involved. So I, I can't give you a straight answer, but if you're passionate about a certain area of sustainability, you can definitely find companies that fit within that theme. Um, it's, mm. you know, there is a lot of companies on the ASX that, that you can, you can explore. But as I really want to make critical point is that you know, it is best to have a portfolio of companies because you do tend to have companies that may outperform sometimes and underperform other times. So taking a portfolio approach is really important. Yeah, it, it's actually um, a wonderful segue into our next question, Emily, which is that um, a lot of the people that listen to the show think about uh, their core and satellite. We've, we've kind of instilled this idea of that you can have, you can build a strong defensive long-term focused core portfolio and then you can have satellite bets around the outside and that could be individual stocks it could be etfs it could be funds it could be whatever um you mentioned a point before about and i think i know the study that you were referencing when you said that like many of the sustainability focused funds and esg funds tend to outperform the kind of vanilla other version like the plain version um and that's just not across if i'm not mistaken that's not just in shares so not just the share investing funds but also bonds and those other types of things as well um so when you think about 
ESG overall, can you use it in either the core or is it a satellite thing? Like how do how do you think about that? So some investors want to have their whole portfolio aligned with a sustainable future. That may be because of their beliefs or they believe that there's really strong tailwinds behind being more sustainable. And so they'll look to use sustainability across all of their core and satellite um, portfolios. But I guess it does mean that you may not have exposures that are aligned with what we call benchmark exposure. So because of those skews, you don't typically, you might not have um, returns that look like, you know, the ASX 200 because you are taking active positions. Um, but others do, because of that, use it as more of a satellite approach. So they they understand that there's going to be investment benefits to investing in sustainable companies, but they don't want to take as much risk in their portfolio. So they don't want to vary too far away from you know, the ASX 200. They just want to use it as a little bit of a um, additional to their portfolio to drive, dr- hopefully drive returns. Um, so it, it depending on the type of investor that you are and, and how you think about the world, you can use it as either. And we have definitely have clients who use it as their mainstream portfolio and then also use it as their satellite portfolio. So it's not an all or nothing approach, really. No, it's definitely not. And, you know, just because we're we're specifically small caps, but you might have for your satellite, sorry, for your um, core, you may have an ESG large caps fund and then your satellite may be an ESG um, small caps fund. So um, there's different ways to play and, and ESG funds are prominent across all asset classes as well. So there's not one specific strategy you need to align to um, and you can kind of, depending on, your current portfolio and how you want to position it, you can definitely use it as as both or either. Emily, you work in the active ESG investing space. So I was wondering if you could explain to listeners maybe a bit of the difference that you see between active and passive ethical investing and when people might choose one option over the other or whether they mix between both. Yeah, so for those who don't know what passive investing is, it's a strategy in which a fund provider has a set benchmark of stocks that they invest in and they don't take any active positions or make any investment decisions. So they simply invest in what the benchmark tells them to invest in. But active is really the opposite, which is what I do, and that's where the fund manager is actively managing the strategy to try and generate returns that are exceeding the benchmark. And they will do that by taking overweight or underweight positions in a stock. So that means they may buy more of the stock than the benchmark, or they may buy less of the stock than the benchmark if they believe that it's not going to have a positive outlook going forward. Passive investing in ESG strategies has grown actually significantly in the last 18 months or so. And so what happens here is that they'll typically have a benchmark that's created by an external party of sustainable stocks. And that may may mean different things depending on the passive strategy, but the passive investor will invest alongside this benchmark. I guess the issue that I see with passive ESG investing is that you don't have as much scope for company engagement. And what I mean by that is that working with companies to drive positive outcomes. And that's a big part of what we do in the Perennial Better Future Fund. And that is basically a function of being an active investor. So because we have the ability to make an investment decision, 
So we can either choose to buy a stock or once we've bought it, we can actually sell out. Companies are really interested in what we have to say about sustainability because they want us to keep our money in their company because that's going to drive share price changes. So, for example, in 2021, we had 10 portfolio companies appoint additional female directors to their board based on our engagements. So you can see that there's a really tangible benefit to to engagement in driving positive outcomes. We are also 80% less carbon intensive than the small ordinaries, which is our benchmark. Um, So you can see that our decisions have actually led to a portfolio that is a lot lower emission intensive than what you would invest if you're investing in in the small caps um, ETF, for example. So the other key areas that we actually are able to divest if we see any ESG red flags, whereas a passive fund may not be able to, to do that. So we can monitor a company, we can talk to a business, we can look at news reports. If there's a few things that just seem to not be right, we can actually make the decision, okay, we don't want to hold this anymore. We think this may be reflective of bigger issues in the business, we're actually going to sell out. And we can do that as active managers, whereas you can't as much do that in passive. And on the opposite side of that, we can actually take advantage of opportunities, both from a price and valuation perspective, but also from an ESG perspective. So if we come across a company that we think is doing some really interesting things, for example, in waste management, we can actually make the decision to buy that. Um, So it just gives us a lot more flexibility and scope to, I think, have real world outcomes on our investment. Can I just ask to follow up there real quick? Oh, yeah. do, do com- are companies well received? Like, sorry, do they like receive you well? Like when you walk in and say, hey, you could do this, this and this, do they, are they like, do they, are they positive with that or do they kind of get on the back foot and be like, hold on a second, like uh, <laughs> who, who are you coming in here telling me how to run my business? Like I'm just I'm curious about that. It's a great question. And we have a bit of a mix, I guess, companies that want to engage with us and actually see the benefits to driving better sustainability outcomes are the types of businesses we want to invest in. If we walk into a meeting and say, look, guys, like, you know, you're an emission intensive sector and you don't even have a net zero target, what's going on here? You need to be measuring your emissions profile. Um, and they say, no, that's not really relevant to us. We don't care. Well, to us, what, we wouldn't invest in that business because they don't understand that there's mm. a serious risk there for them that if they don't address these issues, they're going to have to start pricing carbon in their business or they're going to stop getting customers who care about their own scope three emissions. So um, for us, we, we choose to only really invest in companies that are very engaged on the topics. But from time to time, we do meet with a company that that has that view although it is increasingly rare because I think that companies understand that investors actually really care about these issues and to gain the incremental investor, they need to be thinking about sustainability mm-hmm. in their business. And even more surprisingly is that we actually get companies that we don't even hold. So we don't have a holding in these businesses and they come inbound to me and ask me, what should we be doing from a sustainability perspective? Mm-hmm. Because they want our names on the register. They want our tick of approval on the business. And so they want to know what they can do to improve. So we're actually kind of seeing the opposite happen, but it wasn't always the case. And particularly some small cap, smaller companies, you know, they're really just focused on surviving and, you know, growing their business and ESG may not be something that naturally comes to mind. So we just want to keep it moving up the priority list making sure that they're, you know, incrementally driving improvements and I guess 
because we are in the small cap space, we can provide that, I guess, a little bit of advisory expertise because they don't have the budgets to be able to have a dedicated sustainability staff member, for example. Mm. So we can just be that sounding board. They can ask us questions about what we think they should focus on, about who the best provider or partner to do that with could be. And and that's expertise we can provide as investors in the space. I think our companies actually really appreciate it. And we've seen some really great outcomes from, from that engagement. And we actually run an ESG survey every year where we ask ASX listed corporates about where they're going and where they have been on ESG and sustainability. And in last year's survey, 93% of companies said that engaging with investors on ESG and sustainability was beneficial to their business. Mm. And 86% of companies actually had positive business outcomes as a result of an increased focus on ESG and sustainability. So Mm. you can see it's actually really tangible. And I think that positions us quite well as active investors to 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 do that. And we actually get a lot of companies saying, hey, I've seen you out there present. I know that, you know, you're really looking for interesting, sustainable businesses. I think my company might really meet your meet your mandate. And, and we actually get a lot of opportunities that way as well. So it's really important okay. to be to be out there and educating companies and investors on this topic. Yeah, I find that approach really interesting because I've had a few friends recently who have wanted to start investing and they want particular issues are really important to them and they might not be at the stage where they're ready to invest in individual companies. So they're looking at some of the ethical ETFs or super funds available. But when they look at the list of holdings, they immediately see names there that they go, hey, that's not ethical in my opinion. And so it's quite challenging for them. Like where, as a starting point, like where do they even go from there? Yeah, that's such an interesting debate, isn't it? Because I see that a bit. I look at some of the options out there and I look at their holdings and I think, okay, that's really interesting that that company is in there. Um, So I guess this ties into the conversation around greenwashing and that's all about how authentic is a sustainable fund in its underlying holdings. So does the label match what's actually in the portfolio? And this is a little bit of a challenge for investors because there's all of those different ways to invest around ESG and sustainability, and it can mean different things to different people. So I do really recommend as a first step going in and and looking at the holdings, which seems like that your friends are all across, which is literally the first step and that's fantastic. So go in and look for the underlying holdings and say, okay, does this meet my expectations for what I want for my investments? Um, Sometimes that will be no, but hopefully most of the time that will be yes. You can also look at any other disclosures that the fund might be putting out there. So do they put out an annual ESG report? Do they document their engagement activities? You know, really go in and understand their ESG and investment strategy. So read the fact sheet, read the PDS, make sure that how they're investing aligns with what you would expect. And you can also look for any external awards and recognition. So there's a number of bodies out there that provide sustainability analysis on funds. One of those is RIA or the Responsible Investment Association Australasia. They identify responsible investment leaders in the industry in Australia and New Zealand, and that's across super funds and also managed funds, so ETFs included in there. Um, But they also actually have a stamp of approval called a certified responsible investment product. And so these are products that have gone through their rigorous process for being certified as an RI 
fund. So you can go in and say, okay, I know that RIA has gone through, that they've looked at the holdings, that they've talked to the fund managers. What I, What is being said on the box is actually what matches the product I'm getting. Um, so just, just look for those external recognition as well in, in the industry. Um, but I guess the disclosures and the holdings is really the number one because that will help you understand what how they're actually thinking about sustainability. And a really tricky way or a little bit of a um, way you can test test the fund manager's thought process is go in and look at their proxy voting records. So when, as investors, when you own a company, you have the rights to vote on certain issues at their annual general meeting. And typically a fund manager's voting history is published. So you can go in and look, okay, I know that this company had a vote around climate. I'm going to go in and see how that fund manager actually voted on that issue. So that's a little bit of a sneaky way you can you can check to see if it's aligned with what they're saying they do. Had, sorry, Emily, so you would go into like where is that stored, that information, if people want to check that? Typically it's on the website, on the fund manager's website. So you can go in and, and download that information um, I believe as part of the RIA process, you actually have to publish your proxy voting oh, record. Okay. So um, there's all these ways you can just go in and double check that everything is is as what it seems. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because a lot more companies and super funds and like even ETF providers are getting media coverage on the way they're voting and approaching particular issues, especially if there's a major sort of blow up or vote happening at a particular company that's been the subject of certain controversy in the, the previous year. And I will say that sometimes it is a little bit more nuanced than just a, you know, support or don't support vote. Um, sometimes, you know, there may be a controversial issue that comes up and we'll actually go and discuss that with the board, discuss that with the CEO and we'll say, okay, we're aware of this issue. Um, but, you know, the management has committed to making these changes over the next 12 months. So we'll support them in this instance. But if we don't see change by the coming AGM, we will not support them then. So it is a little bit more nuanced than just the record. But, you know, if if there is something that you're not sure about, you can actually just email email the fund or email the company and just double check because um, they will re- hopefully respond to that. And yeah, so so it does get a little bit more complicated with some of the big issues and particularly with our small cap companies, you know, for example, board diversity isn't able to be changed overnight and that's something we're really focused on. So when we say, okay, hey, guys, you don't have at least 30% females on the board, what are you doing to make positive change to your business? And they might say, look, we've actually started a recruitment process looking for qualified female directors for the board or, you know, it's something we really care about and we just haven't had any board opening positions, but next year we're going to appoint an additional director. So we'll definitely, you know, consider female applicants. So we may support them one year and then if we see, okay, well, actually they didn't do anything what they said they were going to do, we're actually going to not support them the following year um, based on based on that improvement or not improvement. So it, it is a little bit complicated, but it's just one really easy way to see, okay, are they actually just blindly supporting the company's recommendations or are they doing the work and taking an active stance against that 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 company? Mm. I was wondering if there's any examples of a company you've been involved with or a company that you've just read the story on the news where investor engagement has actually changed the way the company approaches a particular issue in the past year. 
Yeah, that's a that's a good question as well. We have had a number of positive outcomes. So quite a few of companies in our portfolio that we've asked for increased sustainability reporting have gone and launched their first sustainability report. We also had a number of companies put out their first emissions disclosures, which has also been a really positive step forward. So they've gone out there and undergone the process of measuring their greenhouse gas emissions and then disclosed it to the market. So that's also been a positive step forward. Um, we've had companies appoint female directors to the board after we've discussed that. We've had companies appoint female executives to the board as well. Um, we've had progress on cybersecurity measures. We've had progress on how a company remunerates its executives and making sure that we're having some link towards ESG and sustainability outcomes so that the companies actually, the executives are aligned to driving positive change in the business. So there's been plenty of examples of companies that, that we've been able to make positive change. And you can actually read in very much detail on our website, we release an engagement report, which you can go in and look at all of those positive outcomes we've been able to generate. And also the Perennial Better Future Fund specifically has what we call an impact statement. And you can go and read more about um, all of the positive impact we're having in, in our fund as well. So there's a lot, of, a lot of examples. But I think what we find in the small cap space is that there's companies that are doing great things from an outcomes perspective. So one really good example is a business we've been invested in for some time called Calix. And that's an industrial solutions business, which is all about solving global sustainability challenges. And one of its main projects is Project Lilac, which is a project to help decarbonize the lime and cement industry, which is responsible for 9% of global greenhouse gas emissions. So it's a company that's doing really positive things for the world. It's in great demand. It's formed partnerships with some really respectful global companies, which is great, but they're a small business and they don't have the resources to put out sustainability information. Um, they're not really sure which sustainability reporting guidelines to follow. So we've actually had some really great conversations and engaging conversations with the company about, okay, we think that you should be doing this and we think you should be reporting in line with this um, standard and that's going to have a really positive benefit on its corporate sustainability strategy. So it's just, you know, we can really have influence with our investments. Mm. I think a lot of people think that they, because they're just a small investor, they don't have any type of you know, sway or, or impact on, on these companies. But clearly like you, what you've said is, you know, you, you can read what the companies are publishing. You can see if they've got sustainability reports by looking in when they make an announcement to the ASX. But you can also then go through the funds like your own um, and see how the, the funds that invest in these companies reported. And you can grade them as well, which is kind of cool. Um, and finally, like voting at an AGM is really anyone can do that. As long as you're a shareholder, you can do that yep. most of the time virtually. So yep. uh, you can see you can see all this stuff like they're public companies for a reason. They are on display, right? Uh, Emily, I, 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 separately, I did ask you uh, ahead of this chat if you maybe have some resources or even some like some books or anything that you would recommend for our for our listeners and for our viewers just to think about you know even if it's just investing in general like something that maybe has impacted you um did you did you manage to think of a few names yeah yeah i've got two book recommendations that aren't actually specifically investment books but i think are really useful for the context of understanding 
company strategy and understanding how to think about investing um, more broadly. So the first one was a book that was recommended to me by, by a, a very important mentor, mentor to me, and it's called Exponential Organizations by Salim Ismail. And this is all about how companies continually need to disrupt themselves to remain relevant and to remain competitive Mm -hmm. because we're in a world of rapid technological innovation. So when a new company comes to market, they're already advantaged because they have the newest technological systems and they're competing against companies that have really maybe old and outdated technological systems. So the concept here is that new, you know, new technology is built on that technology and, and they're just better, faster, more efficient. And so they have a relative advantage. And so what you need from these traditional incumbent businesses is a culture of disruption and change. So if you think about Netflix as a great example um, that I'm sure everyone mm-hmm. knows what Netflix does now, it's a, it's a streaming service. But prior to being a streaming service, they were actually a DVD mailing business. So they would mail out physical DVDs to their consumers and they had to disrupt themselves. That's a business model that doesn't exist anymore. So they actually had to change their business to meet the demands, the changing demands of the consumer. So I think this gives a really interesting lens to what you should be thinking about when investing in a company. Okay, is it investing in innovation? Is it constantly disrupt, disrupting itself? Is it coming out with new products? And that's a really great lens to see if a company is going to survive. So I think that's quite an interesting framework. And the other one is a book called Super Forecasting. Oh, and yeah. That, yeah, and have you heard of that one? Yes, yeah. Yeah, so that's what I read, I think, last year. And that provides the traits or it does a study about the traits of the best forecasters out there. And that's obviously important for investing in understanding what trends are likely to happen over time or the likelihood of of events. And obviously that impacts your investment decisions because you want to be positioned for the outlook that you expect to occur or left field events. So again, not necessarily an investment book, but provide some really interesting context towards how professional investors should be thinking about, you know, when they're forecasting the company's earnings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just provides some really interesting tangible traits that super forecasters have. So they're two I recommend that I've read myself and, and really love. I, I really like both of those because um, I think the longer you go in investing, the, the more you realize that being good at investing is probably, it's probably more important for you to read outside of the, the diehard investing books around, you know, how to read a financial statement and all this sort of stuff. It's about how do you understand people and businesses and yourself. And um, ESG, and that ties back to yeah. ESG as well. So, um, you Absolutely. know, if you understand culture, that's ESG. If you understand people, that's ESG. If you understand management styles, that can also tie back to sustainability. So it, mm. it that's, um, yeah, it's a really interesting framework to look at businesses. And, you know, we've had quite a lot of success over the last five years in, in doing that. And I think it's going to be an investment thing that isn't going anywhere. It's only getting bigger and bigger over time. And so all of your listeners should at least have a think about how that might tie into their investment portfolios. Mm, I like it. Uh, Emily, well, we really appreciate you taking some time to come on the show. If people wanted to follow up, they can 
they can obviously access the the, the fund that's on the ASX, which uh, is, I'm not mistaken, it's by the ticker symbol IMPQ. Is that correct? Nailed it. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. And which website could they go to if, for example, if they wanted to have a look at your your statements and the things that you've referenced, like voting records and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, all of the information is available at www.perennial.net.au, but you can also follow us. We have a dedicated Perennial Better Future LinkedIn page where we post a lot of updates, including hopefully this published podcast. So you can definitely follow our activity there as well. Fantastic. Well, Emily, we really appreciate you joining us remotely today. Um, Kate and I are recording this in separate rooms, but uh, we really appreciate you, you taking the time to, to have a chat with us. And um, if we, you know, if we catch up again, I, I can't wait to take it to the next level. But for, for today, thank you for joining us. Thanks, team. What a fun conversation. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast, where our mission is to improve the financial futures of all Australians. If you'd like to learn more, create a free account at rusk.com.au forward slash account to download free episode workbooks, bonus resources, and take our amazing free personal finance courses. You can also join our online community by following the link in the description. If you enjoyed the show, what we'd love is for you to leave us a snappy review on iTunes. And you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rask Australia. Kate and I are also on both of those channels. Finally, if you have any feedback, suggestions for episodes or guests to come on the show, or you just have a question for us, shoot us an email at podcast at rask.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.